Have you ever gone on a hike or walked a path where it, it was perfect? There was that slight downhill nudging you forward. It was as if gravity was working for you. And the dirt and the leaves and underfoot, it almost felt as though there was a spring-like quality to them bouncing you forward. Forward to the beach that you know to be beautiful. Every step closer, every step brings you past beautiful mounds of moss and beach until um, you reach a trail like this. Now, uh, I, I hiked the West Coast Trail. Uh, this was about six years ago after I graduated from seminary. My, I and a couple of uh, my cousins and my one uncle, we went hiking. And did you know that 80 to 100 Seriously injured hikers are evacuated from the West Coast Trail every season. Approximately 200 hikers per year sustain minor injuries where they manage to limp themselves off the trail. Well, six days before I limped myself off the trail, um, I started the trip with passion, focus, energy, as you might assume. A great adventure with great people Gators strapped on, poles in hand, ready to go. Well, the trail was easy until it wasn't. <laughs> um, slippery roots that threatened to snap or twist the ankles, mud that slowed you down to a snail's pace. And then came those rickety old ladders that wobbled and there was no other supports and it, there was a mercilessness to it. There was uh, this sense of which if you're going to go forward, you've got to take a deep breath and take another step. If we wanted to continue, we needed to summon new courage and new energy. Um, have you ever lost so much personal momentum in your life that it, it just felt like too much to start up again? Uh, the path slowed you down so much that it got to a point where you felt like, I don't even know how to get going again. I know that for many of us, these past several years, we've felt this grind that slows us down to a point where it's hard to know how to start up again. Uh, I know that I've experienced some of these things in my own life, in my own world, and I suppose some of you have as well. Maybe it's your physical health. It just feels like too much to exercise. You're always tired. You know exercise gives you energy, but I'd rather nap. Um, maybe you feel like you've lost your social skills. You don't even know how to make general conversation with friends or um, have a friendly conversation. Um, maybe you slowly stop just talking to other people. Uh, talking to other people about your faith or your fears, and it feels like an impossible ladder to just say, how's your heart? How are you doing? And, and to be able to engage in that kind of conversation. Um, it feels weird sometimes for us to find ourselves there, but it, we get there. And maybe God is nudging you to slowly climb to a new level of intimacy with him. A new commitment, perhaps, or... Uh, New, new courage needed to take on a new task or to move forward. And the question to us is, do we have the courage? Do we have the faith? Or how about this one? Perhaps the church um, has, with their best efforts, disappointed you. 
And, and it's threatened to even cause you to doubt God's goodness because of the behaviors of others around you. Well, one of these areas, or perhaps some of these areas, this story today, this gospel account speaks to this. The truth is, following Jesus gets hard. And in those moments, what do we do? Where do we go? People have often said that the first couple of years as a Christian, your first couple of years, those are the hard years, and then things straighten out, the path straightens out. Well, that is not always the case. Often, we're presented with harder tasks where we need deeper courage and more spiritual energy. This is the shift that we see in the Gospel of Mark. The path of following Jesus so far has been relatively easy for the disciples. And then we have this shift in the narrative. Um, Last week, we got to encounter the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus goes up this mountain and with his close disciples, Peter, James, and John, he is transfigured into this glorious image. And it's this mountaintop event that drops the jaws of these disciples. They're bathed in the presence of God and they see the affirmation of God over Jesus that he is the beloved son. And like Moses on Mount Sinai, Jesus radiates this pure light And then like Elijah on Mount Horeb, we hear a voice from heaven. Elijah and Moses, two central figures, preparing the way of salvation. But Jesus is now the one fulfilling it and finishing it. If there was any doubt about God, any doubt about who Jesus was, this is the moment This is the moment where all of that could be washed away for the disciples that were there. And like the baptism of Jesus, we hear that voice from heaven being declared, this is my son, listen to him. It's an incredible scene. And it reminds us that we have to put our faith in Jesus. So we walk down this heavenly mountain. We walk down from this great encounter, and then what happens? They come face to face with a fallen world. The people are frustrated. The disciples are discouraged and confused because of this failed exorcism, and then we have a father in despair, a son who is still tormented, and the teachers are smirking in the corner, happy to see that they've got this small victory over this new movement. The timing of this story couldn't be perfect in the flow of the Markin story. It is perfect because we've come from this divine encounter and we hit the suffering and the hurting of a broken world. You can almost feel the temptation in the story for all of us as readers to like, let's, let's climb back up that mountain. How about we just let what's going on here just stay there. Let's go back up the mountain to ignore the reality that things just got difficult. Things have gotten more complex and confusing for the disciples, right? Uh, Working at Camp Hermatton for the past nine years, uh, it's been lovely and wonderful. And as a camp speaker before working there, I had the fortunate opportunity to help facilitate meaningful, good mountaintop experiences for people. 
And it was such a joy and is a joy for me able to see kids, youth, adults be able to be in in an environment where they slowly are able to listen and hear and perceive what God is up to. It's a great joy. But what has continued to be a point of heartache and work and effort and prayer and challenge is how terribly difficult it has been to help prepare and equip followers of Jesus for when they inevitably come face to face with the broken world again. The title of this message is, Can't It Always Be Easy? Can't It Always Be Easy? Well, let's explore this story briefly to see what God has to say to us, what we can do because of what this story is telling us. So, I'm just going to walk us through a little bit of the text here. So Jesus' return from this mountain to find his disciples in a dispute with the teachers, right? And then Jesus asks, what are you arguing with them about? Now, it's likely that this question is primarily directed at the disciples. But it isn't the disciples who answer, but a man from the crowd, right? The man goes into great Detail. He's first about how terrible the son's situation is, right? We have all of this like explanation and detail. And Mark, as a, as a storyteller, loves these extra details. We see that throughout the Mark and narrative. He loves these details. And he goes into great deal, into great detail, explaining the situation, and that the disciples couldn't do anything. Now, you might recall that the disciples, many passages ago, have been empowered by Jesus to cast out demons, and they were successful. So in Mark 3, 14 and 15, uh, it says this, he, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. And then, again, in Mark 6, Verse 7, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So you can picture the story unfolding before Jesus arrives. Like, picture this with me. The disciples are relaxing in the shade. Some are sitting. Some are leaning against a, rock, uh, against a wall. And Then they see this crowd coming towards them, and there's this man with desperation in his eyes, and he comes forward to them, and he says to them, like, you're the ones that follow Jesus, right? You follow Jesus. Can you heal my son? I know that you've healed people in the past. Please heal my son. At this, the disciples kind of wake up a little bit. They kind of look at, Andrew looks over, you know, at Barth, I don't know, someone, one of the other disciples, um, Thomas, let's go with Thomas. Andrew looks over at Thomas and they're like, like rock, paper, scissors, who wants to be the one to offer this hope? You know, Andrew takes it, he walks forward, he's like, people of Israel, I and my other disciples, we follow Jesus and we have been gifted with the same power that the prophets had because of the name of Jesus. We can do these things. And they're saying all of this with the confidence that this has happened in the past. So he goes forward and he says, bring him to me. And they're they're all gathered around and they're like, in the name of Jesus, come out and speak, deaf and mute, child. And the child just, nothing happens. They look around. Andrew looks over at Thomas and Thomas is like, well. So he walks forward and he's like, ah, 
in the name of Jesus, come out. And they're thinking, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And then you hear a little <laughs> cough in the quiet community. And then someone from the back is like, what's wrong, boys? And they're there, they're starting to get nervous. They're starting to back away. There's jeers, there's talk, so there's murmurs. All of a sudden, the teachers of the law are starting to get a little bit bold. I thought you had the authority to cast out demons. And they don't know what to say, so they just start getting louder. They start yelling, they start arguing. There's this kerfuffle happening all over this event. And at the same time, we have this son who's being tormented by a spirit, and we have a father that's just probably on his knees in despair. He tried, and it didn't work. And without a leg to stand on, the disciples are scared, they're confused, they're speechless. Have you ever been there? Maybe not in that exact circumstance, but I've, I've been there. I, as a follower of Jesus, um, what worked then, we try again, and it doesn't seem to work right this time. You know, I've, I've been caught flat-footed, resting on past successes, assuming that what worked yesterday will work today. Now, of course, there's time-tested principles, wisdom, commands of God that anchor everything that we, everything that we do. That never changes. Don't hear, don't hear me wrong. Uh, but what I wonder... Um, for my own life, for the life of other pastors, leaders, for us as followers of Jesus, that we, like disciples in this story, are constantly tempted to forget that our God is a living God, that all our authority, all of it comes from Him. And sometimes we might get used to relying on our past successes relying on what used to work for us. And then we come to a new challenge and it's too big and it doesn't work the way we thought it was. What do we do? What do we do when it doesn't work the way it's always worked? And we can be tempted to fall into confusion or despair or to back away from what God's up to. I know that I've been tempted by those things and I, I wonder how many of us have found ourselves in that place. When I was on that hiking trail, it wasn't actually the really obvious routes. Um, I, broke my, I broke my arch walking on a flat strip of beach. Every slow hit of the ground slowly wore my foot down, and I got a stress fracture through the course of that day on a simple, obvious You'd think it was fine, but it was just that slow grind. I wasn't paying attention to the way I was walking and the angle of my feet, and I hurt myself, and eventually I limped out of uh, that hike. It all worked out fine. Anyways, side story. Um, we, like the disciples in this story, we are tempted to forget this truth. And we sometimes forget that our abiding in Christ that our walking in the Spirit, that our fellowship with God is central to how all of this works. The life of the Christian isn't a life of following rules. Doing ministry in the name of Jesus isn't an incantation or formula. It would appear that the disciples needed to be reminded that all power and all authority 
rests in Jesus. That all authority is mediated authority. And we see that throughout the New Testament. We see the, hum- the humility that they've encountered as other disciples like, or other apostles like Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, he says this, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It would appear that all of the disciples eventually figured this out. And that this botched exorcism by the disciples reveals to us once again, lest we never forget, that it is all about Jesus. So what is, what is it that we can take from this event so far? First, the disciples are confused and discouraged. But secondly, how did this affect the community? We have this poor man runs up to Jesus. Your people couldn't help me. Your people couldn't help me. And then later he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, right? That word, if you can do anything. I wonder how much, I wonder how much of the disciples' failure influenced this father's statement to Jesus. When the people of God have let down the hurting father, you can appreciate the doubt and even his bitter tone. This, the main impression that we, can, that we can get from this story is that the disciples' inability to deal with the problem and the crowds uh, and the hurting father, all of this creates impatience and disappointment with them. And he, here's a warning for us. I don't often do warnings, but here's a warning that I think we can take from this. Our behaviors as followers of Jesus either elevate the name of Jesus or they don't. How much of our culture's impatience with the church is a product of the church's inability to deal with the problem, the big problem, the the full problem? And what influence do followers of Jesus have on the building up or the tearing down of faith? That's a challenge for us. That's a warning. But there is good news. This has been the bad news so far. There is good news revealed in this story. So I have two actions of Jesus that bring us great hope. And then I have two actions that we can take and apply to our lives today. First, great hope, the frustration of Jesus. I don't know if you remember hearing that and seeing that in the passage. He's like, what am I going to do with you? This, this unbelieving generation, right? We have this moment. What is it? It's unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? But he doesn't stop there. Stopping there might have been the common response. That might have been my response or your response or one of our responses. Frustrated, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm going back up the hill. I'm going to hang out with Elijah and Moses. But he doesn't stop there. He says, bring the boy to me. Despite the unbelief around him, Jesus remains faithful to his mission. 
He doesn't waver on his call to set captives free, despite what's going on around him. And this is really, really good news for us. Despite unbelief, Jesus does not stop his mission. Even in our failures, Jesus never fails. He never stops. The kingdom he has established will never stop. Perhaps you've already experienced this kind of grace in your life. I certainly have. The kind of grace where God in his kindness stepped into your life despite your unbelief. That God showed up in a way when you least expected it, when you weren't really even wanting it. And this is good news, that God cares about us despite where we've been, what we've been up to, that while we were still enemies of God, he pursues us. God's grace is at work even in world areas where there isn't even a single Christian. This is good news. Amen? Amen. And here's our second great hope. So the first great hope is that we have a God. We have Jesus who, despite our unbelief, still responds with his mission. Secondly, and I love this response, you can feel the almost playfulness in Jesus' tone, if you can, if you can, and then he responds, everything is possible for one who believes. Now, Jesus is not letting this man off the hook. Yes, this man has been disappointed so far. Yes, the disciples did not get it done. Um, we don't want to forget that. But Jesus sees all of that. He knows all of this. But he is looking at this man. He looks this man in the eyes. And he speaks to him not about all of that stuff. And he invites him. You can almost feel him daring him to believe in God. And then what does the father say? I do believe. When's the last time you declared from your spirit, from your heart, I do believe. I believe. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe. That's the power of worship, actually. To be able to choose to sing songs that give glory and declare, I believe in you. At the end of the service, we're going to sing again. And when we do, I invite you to let it be a declaration from your spirit. So the father declares, I do believe, I believe. And of course, we know this. He doesn't stop there. If he had stopped there, I think that we would have lost a beautiful and necessary story. An important truth that so many of us have relied on throughout our lives. He doesn't stop there. I love this statement. A statement I have felt in my own life, a statement many of us have felt. I do believe. Help me overcome my belief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And with that, Jesus answers two prayers. The first one is obvious. He answers the prayer and heals the son. He releases this pesky, quite powerful demon. But there's the other, other quiet, unspoken prayer that has lived in this man's heart for who knows how many years. The prayer, help me overcome my unbelief. 
God, help me believe that you're real. Help me believe that you care. Help me believe that it's worth it to try again. Help me to believe to cry out to you again because it's been so hard to believe. And Jesus answers both of those prayers in that moment. Jesus' frustration produces action. Jesus' kingdom will never fail. And then second, Jesus looks you straight in the eyes and invites you to let go of blaming the failings of others and to take responsibility. Jesus invites you. He is daring you to ignore the excuses that you've relied on for so long and to respond to him. We live in a world where it's so easy and it's so tempting to define our lives by, what we've, by what's been done to us that we build our identity around our victimhood to use the evil around us, the evil done to us, as some kind of cloak. There's a certain kind of power. There's a certain untouchability when you're the victim. There's a temptation to never leave it and to forever be the hurt one, the hard done by one, the abused one, the misunderstood one. But Jesus, in his mercy, looks past all of that and he sees You for you. He sees you as dearly beloved. He sees you as made in the image of God. And he is calling out of you, out of that place. He's calling us out of that place because he also sees that you've used your pain to hurt others. He sees that you've blamed others for your selfishness. He sees all of you. And like this story, Jesus stands waiting for your step of faith and your confession. So what what do we do? Where do we go from here? The first thing that I, I see standing out strongly is honest confession. Sometimes faith is easy, and then sometimes certain circumstances and situations make faith really hard. And as Jesus declares everything is possible for the one who believes, we know from the rest of Mark and the rest of the whole story that it's not about if you have enough faith, you can accomplish anything. But if you have faith in the right person, if you put all of your faith, all of your trust, all of your dependence on God, then nothing's impossible for God to work in your life. When's the last time you made honest confession? When's the last time you acknowledged those powerful feelings that often overshadow your faith. Or perhaps uh, you feel this sense of call to a new level of faith. When's the last time you talked about it, talked about your faith, talked about your uncertainty with another person or with God? We know Jesus loves honesty. We know that he cares so deeply and he has so much generosity and so much space for when we are honest. And I love this about the story that in the Father's honesty, Jesus is right there responding. Through the entire Gospel of Luke, we see that everything that Jesus did was enabled by the Spirit, right? And then we see in the Gospel of John that everything Jesus did was because he was abiding with the Father. And this leads us to the recognition of what we've seen and what's kind of obvious in this whole story, because it's the whole finishing line, prayer. First, honest confession. Second, prayer. 
And, and we're not just talking about quick little prayers. We're talking about walking with God. For Jesus, it's all about intimacy. It's all about intimacy with the Father. And we need this dynamic, intimate connection with God, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And we can see that in this story, as things have gotten more difficult, what is Jesus essentially saying is more challenges, more prayer. New hurdles, new depth of prayer. A good friend of mine, um, who was a pastor to young adults for many years in a different denomination, um, he witnessed revivals, uh, spiritual encounters, and deep disappointment. Um, And he had a one-liner that I loved. It kind of made me laugh, particularly because it kind of showed his colors of kind of his denominational backgrounds. And he would say this to me, Trent, new level, new devil. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) He's like, new level, new devil. And I was like, okay. And then I, I chuckled, but the more I actually thought about that simple little statement, it's kind of true. When we take a step forward in our faith, expect the enemy to wage his attacks. And if we are not turning to the Lord in prayer, if we are not investing in a deeper relationship with God, we are toast. I believe God is calling many of you to take a new step forward in your faith. But without that increased prayer life, our only option will actually be to step down from that new level, to walk back to a version of following Jesus that is easier and less fulfilling. Because that's the only option. Because for us to proceed forward in faith with God requires new energy, new courage, new faith. And if we're not willing to pray and invest, then it's maybe we pull back. I I don't know your story. I don't know how badly the people of God have tainted your faith in Jesus. I don't know how the mess of this past year has maybe killed your hope or sucked the life out of you. But today, you are invited to look at Jesus, to speak openly and honestly with him. You are invited to bring your hurt directly to him. And this is the good news of the cross. Jesus sacrificed his life in love so that you right now can come to God confessing your brokenness, your confusion, your frustration, your lack of faith, confessing your sin, and your need of him. And you can bring all of it to Jesus who will hear your confession, forgive you, and help you. Church, we need to ask for more of the Spirit. We need to ask to be able to witness his glory. We need to ask for an increase in faith, more faith in the power of the gospel, to believe and to know. We need more courage. This world is hungry They're angry, they're lonely, and they're tired of what's been going on. And like the hurting father, there are neighbors who want to believe. And in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our uncertainties, we can reveal the strength of Christ to them. In our humility and in our vulnerability and with courage, we can create opportunities for Jesus to be seen. 
I believe that we are being called to a new level of influence and a new level of service. But the way forward, like Jesus' way forward, is not easy. In Mark's gospel, this story takes that turn. Things get hard for Jesus, they get hard for the disciples. And as Jesus sets his sight on the cross and going up that hill, it takes all his courage, all his spiritual energy, all his trust in the Father. The task demands everything. And friends, are we willing to go with him? Are we facing a new turn in our journey? Has the path gone from easy to hard and the only next step is up that rickety ladder We need fresh reserves of spiritual energy and strength. We need, do we need, more time and more intensity in prayer. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up. And for the next three minutes before we finish at 11.15, I want us to take the opportunity, to take the opportunity for us to respond again. When faced with crisis, do we know how to pray? Do we know how to turn our, I believe, help my unbelief? We have space at the altars for us to make that choice. In some ways, it can represent that first rung on the ladder. Come and declare to God, like the hurting father, I believe, help my unbelief. And if you're at home with us, You know, hop off your chair, turn around, kneel down, and have an honest confession conversation with our God. Come to him knowing that he hears and he sees you wherever you're at, in whatever situation you found yourself in. And for those of us here, may we take this opportunity as a church to believe God has something new for us. He has new opportunities and new tasks, and that's going to come with challenges. And our real only option is confession and and prayer. We've got to pray. And so may this song be a song of prayer for us. And for some of you, you might want to make the decision to come forward and pray, to confess, and to be honest with our Lord. Amen. Amen.